Hello, everyone. Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I am Omar Bourne. And I'm Allison Panisi. Thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to add Prep Talk to your favorite RSS feed. You can also follow us on social media. This episode, we're discussing donations. Now, for our listeners who may not know this, donations and emergency management do go hand in hand. That's right, Omar. From hurricanes to fires, we see that New Yorkers want to pitch in and help. But what they may not know is that the city works very closely with other agencies and organizations to support communities with relief and recovery efforts. We have a panel of experts here to break it all down for us today uh, and talk to us about what we call donations management. Uh, We have Ben Rose, who is the senior manager from the New York City Department of Sanitation's Donate NYC program. And we have Zach Hodgson, who is the director of emergency services for Greater New York at the Salvation Army. Guys, welcome. Thanks. Thanks. So... Zach, Ben, the city has several emergency plans in place uh, that focus on um, how the city and its partners manage donations. From your perspective, can you share with our listeners what that looks like? Sure. Well, like most of New York City's plans, we seek to leverage the local community and infrastructure, um, which obviously operates year-round, 365 days a year. Um, The same is true for donations management as well. Um, One of the ways in which we try to mobilize that infrastructure is by communicating to local residents, businesses, and community groups what the best way is to donate in disaster. Um, There's lots of different avenues in which we do that. And as as you know, um, social media, online services are are things that we we, we try to provide. Um, But we try to make it a part of um, people's everyday activities. Now, guys, in regards to donations, what do you think are the biggest challenges that the city experiences? I see Ben pointing at Zach <laughs> for our listeners, so I, I'm going to assume that Zach is going to take this one. Sure. No, that's fine. <laughs> um, I think the biggest challenge with donations is just getting the communication right, and that is probably a challenge of a lot of things. But um, people, f- for good impulses, want to donate stuff. They want to respond when they see need. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. Um, but communicating how best to do that in the midst of uh, a crowded out news space when there's a disaster going on um, is always a challenge. And the multitude of voices that are communicating different messages um, makes donations management in particular difficult sometimes. Yeah, and I would also, I would agree with that. And I would also add that, um, you know, donations management, like, you know, any other issue with regards to just dealing with large operations in the city. Um, Much like the perspective of the average New Yorker, it really comes down to real estate, real estate, real estate. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you're looking at a large influx of unrequested material, um, uh, you know, material that that ends up in all different types of public spaces, um, it really is an issue of space and making sure that the right stuff gets to the right area, because if it doesn't, it can just be a, a total mess and a real challenge for first responders. Yeah, I mean, we see this all the time, like following a disaster, people often ask, how can I help my community? What can I do? Um, and in recent years, we've noticed that um, 
the first things people want to do is they want to make a donation. They want to help. Um, in emergency management and working very closely with partners like the Donate NYC program and Salvation Army, we always say cash is best. Um, but can you explain to our listeners why that's so important? Um, well, I, I think it may or may not go without saying that it's the fastest and most efficient way to get uh, uh, survivors the things they need most quickly. Mm -hmm. There are organizations like the Salvation Army and other groups within the VOAD networks who provide services to people year-round. Um, they already have the infrastructure to provide these these resources, and oftentimes the, the, the products that they need are changing on a day-to-day -day basis. So to give the flexibility to our partners, we encourage Casters Best. Um, on the efficiency side, um, there's been a ton of research about the impact of un donating unsolicited stuff. I think the U.S. Uh, USAID says that, you know, for 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 one six pack of bottled water, if you ship that to a disaster, it's going to cost those local agencies over two hundred dollars just to be able to distribute that, store it, and and put it into places that they need it. So, that I would say is is one of the biggest pieces. Is just it's not very efficient. Um, I would say that on the uh, the worst side of the spectrum, that's part of the reasons why the Department of Sanitation has an involvement in this, is that if products like uh, perishable foods or organic products like like clothing are not managed properly, those things are, are placed in facilities that are not um, secure or secured from the elements, that stuff does have the potential of becoming solid waste. And we absolutely do not want to see stuff that was intended for survivors from a disaster to end up in the back of a garbage truck. And, and you've seen, not to cut you off, Ben, but we've seen those pictures where, you know, right after an emergency, people donate tons of, you know, clothes then uh, canned foods and what's not. And then you see the pictures of them just just everywhere um, and not in boxes. They're, they're just thrown in the streets or left in, in, in parks, for example. Uh, and those that's not what we're looking for when it comes to those donations. And, and, and they become waste almost, right? They actually are waste. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once once uh, any sort of uh, clothing or textile right. um, or any food becomes exposed to the elements, it's not fit for human use or consumption. Mm -hmm. So then it becomes incorporated into what we would consider disaster debris. It it it, it can't be. You know, there's not there's no facility to you know, wash and clean all of these products. And mm -hmm. you also have to realize, well, as you guys do realize, that this is just one piece of a, of a very large operation that's going on. And so to divert any resources away from regular disaster operations um, is just such a burden. And it's just so much more cost effective to make sure that that stuff is managed with debris because groups like the Salvation Army, you know, aren't, aren't going to be able to utilize it. I'd also add on, on the question of cash. Cash is necessary for the economic recovery of the disaster-impacted area. Mm -hmm. um, outside of a New York City context, I was in Port-au-Prince and saw what plane loads of 50-pound bags of rice did to the rice market in that country. Right. Um, the, the cash is necessary to, to have an influx uh, into that uh, local economy so that it, it can recover, recover quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And for those people who are not going to listen to us when we say cash is best, are there ways for them to donate these items other than monetarily? I would say you can donate them to organizations like the Salvation Army, and I, right. I try to say that without bias. Um, <laughs> 
But because those items will be used in our social services programming that, um, to me, become part of disaster response. The Salvation Army in the midst of a disaster response, all we are really doing is scaling up what we do year-round, right? Mm-hmm. So if you are donating to those programs, you're helping that scaling process. I, w- I would also say that if you donate them for that year-round work, we see that year-round work for mitigation, mm-hmm. uh, as mitigation. If we are helping people who are living below the poverty line um, – to get out of that situation in life, they are more resilient, less vulnerable to the impacts of whatever the next disaster is. Uh, so all of those items are useful to us um, outside of the disaster to help us support people uh, build their own capacity. And I like that point because I think a lot of people just think of donating as there is an emergency, this, just, this huge emergency just happened, I have to donate. But that's not the case. They can do this year round on a daily basis. That's right. Yeah. And and, and I, I would second that. And, f- you know, for us at, at sanitation, it's, um, you know, New Yorkers are throwing, you know, six million tons of waste every single year. Um, so much of that could be donated and, and, and reused. Um just like in a disaster, it's it's you know it's it's an issue of making sure that we inform the public of these venues so that they know that there are faith-based organizations and community groups and groups that speak to their personal emotional interest year-round that are providing services. Last year alone, 1.4 million New Yorkers were provided with health and human services solely based on revenue generated from donated goods, donated clothing. Wow. Um, that's an infrastructure that exists here um, every single day that we are literally providing food and shelter um, on discarded things that people no longer want. That, that, that has a tremendous impact, um, and it's something that we absolutely want to leverage in, in a disaster um, because it is so critical, and both the people in need and the people donating are already familiar with these groups because they're fixtures within their local community. So if we can support that, promote that, and, 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 and augment that in disaster, it's just going to make sure that the right stuff gets to the right people in need. So, Ben, you had mentioned before um, VOAD, which uh, for our listeners is Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster. Um, There is both a national level and also local level. Um, We have several partners in New York City um, that participate in this, including the Salvation Army. So would you recommend to New Yorkers that those are places to go to to find out more of ways to get involved, to donate, um, whether it's monetarily or to provide goods and services that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, sort of piggybacking on what what, what we'd said before is that, you know, um, this should be a process that people incorporate into their daily lives year round. The same way with preparing for disasters. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has things that they want to get rid of. Everybody wants to help out. But that's not something that we should necessarily only think about during disasters, particularly Mm -hmm. in a a city such as New York that already has a tremendous amount of need to to begin with. So making that a part of, of a people's regular routine is something we would absolutely encourage. And coordinating and connecting with an organization that, you, that, that works towards a cause that you feel strongly about. And that's really the responsibility of the individual resident. So if, if their interest is in, whether it be like uh, veterans affairs or animal care or what, what have you, I, I can guarantee you there's an organization that is looking for volunteers and looking for donations year round. And that same group will be impacted and will definitely be looking for support in a disaster. 
So if they connect with either any of the groups um, through the VOAD website or through Donate NYC, they can locate groups that, that would speak to their own um, interests and passions as, as a New Yorker um, and, and develop those connections well before disaster uh, takes place as part of their disaster preparedness. Yeah, I, I mean, I certainly would uh, recommend that people research whether the organization they're giving to is associated with VOAD because it implies some level of collaboration uh, mm-hmm. with the nonprofit community that's responding to the disaster. It implies some level of quality control, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Um, they would call them points of consensus. It's really a, a code of conduct that anyone, any organization that is a member of VOAD uh, agrees to operate in a certain way that um, doesn't cause any additional harm, to use that phrase. Um, so I would certainly recommend if you're if you're researching who you want to give to, I would I would research whether that group is associated with a VOAD. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I've gotten involved with donations management in my own way on a personal level. Like for example, one of the things that I like to do each year is I like to um, you know donate any you know gently used clothing. But what I do is I actually organize it with a particular organization and I schedule a pickup. It's not like I'm just dropping them in the middle of the street, like you know, as a way to do that. Um, I've also like you know donated blood, like you know, throughout the year as a way that that's my contribution to things too. Um, so I think it's sort of important that New Yorkers find that delicate balance of wanting to help, but you know, kind of taking a step back and saying, okay. If this were me, what is it that I would want and what are the best resources that are out there? And I just think it's really important for people to know that we work very closely with, you know, city agencies, with nonprofit organizations and non-governmental organizations um, to get our job done. How much do you think um, or how closely do you guys work with um, houses of worship? Because I know for me, I like to donate clothing to my church and I in turn uh I want to say that they work closely with you guys as well to make sure that they're donating um the clothing and those materials. So how closely do you guys work with the faith leaders and the houses of worship uh with donations management? Yeah, I mean well I'll just say that one of the resources that we we developed um after Hurricane Sandy was an online mobile app um that that New Yorkers can download um you know whenever. Mm-hmm. It's um it's called Donate NYC. Um, and what that does is it allows residents to enter their zip code, what they want to donate, and it'll locate the nearest um, organization um, okay. or entity within their, their neighborhood. Wonderful. We absolutely encourage not just the faith-based organizations, but the networks of those faith-based organizations to, to let their constituents know. Um, it also allows us a window to, to see what organizations are in areas so that if there is an area that's impacted, we know that there's a, a local church or a synagogue or, um, or an entity that, that, that has generally had a clothing drive right. so that we can inform our partners at Emergency Management and our local VOAD partners that, that this is somebody who um, it has been operating in the past and they may be um, engaging in a donations operation. So um, that would be on our side how we would support that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, as you know, the Salvation Army is, a, is itself a faith-based organization. Yeah. Um, and we have, in New York City, we have 19 what we call core. They're, they're community centers. They are houses of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like any community house of worship, uh, they coordinate with the other faith-based organizations in their community, hopefully. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, we certainly support that, 
that network uh, through the 19 communities and the surrounding communities um, throughout the year. And, and I would also say that um, increasingly with just within the last year, food ha has become a, a major area of focus, particularly right. from city council and from our commissioner's office about dealing with unwanted food. Um, there was a recent law, Local Law 176, that was just recently passed about providing support to local businesses to connect with uh, charitable organizations, soup kitchens and pantries that do exist in faith-based organizations. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to be looking towards um, developing a, a portfolio of services particularly related to unwanted food items um, and obviously working with uh, the Office of Emergency Management to make sure that that's cohesive to emergency planning as well. Zach, is there anything you'd like to add about the Salvation Army um, and its role in donations management? Sure. In all of this conversation, um, there's an element that, that, that people have a right to life with dignity. It's, it's an actual right. Uh, it's, this isn't charity. Um, so in this work, whenever you're donating, it's just something to consider. Um, if you were the disaster survivor, would you want to be rifling through used clothing that may or, not, may or may not be right for you, that's laid out on a table in some community center somewhere? Um, so in the Salvation Army, we try to consider that. We try to consider that in the way we deliver the services we deliver. Does it does it recognize, does it respect the dignity of everyone we are attempting to support as they go through this trauma? Wow. Anything else from you, Ben? Um, you know, once again, I, I, I would second what, what, what Zach said. Um, you know, we talked briefly before this on some of the different types of organizations that, that do respect that a life with dignity and um, particularly groups such as um, the Refoundry and Career Gear and Bottomless Closet, which provide um, avenues for men and women who are either previously incarcerated or who've been affected by homelessness um, or other um, you know, issues throughout their lives. And many of these organi organizations have, have defined their models based on providing this life with dignity, providing um, either a store setting or a workforce development setting that allows people who are, are facing times in need, whether it be in disaster or just in their, their regular lives, with an avenue to not feel as though they're a victim, but feel as though that they're a survivor. And donations management in particular does, as Zach said, play a critical role in defining that person's, um, that person's circumstance. Wonderful, thank you guys very much. We're talking to Ben Rose, Senior Manager uh, New York City Department of Sanitation's Donate NYC program, and Zat Hodgson, the Director of Emergency Services for Greater New York at the Salvation Army. Uh, and for our listeners, uh, donate responsibly, and remember that you not only can donate during or after an emergency, but you can donate year-round, so I encourage everyone to get out there. We have more to come here on the show. Next, we have... New York City Emergency Management's own Herman Schaefer, Jonathan Jenkins, and Deandra Hayban, and they're going to be talking about the plans that the city puts in place to make sure that uh, we are covering everything uh, that deals with donations. So stay tuned. Ben, Zach, thank you guys very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back. 
We're here speaking with a panel of experts on donations management, as well as ways New Yorkers can help those in need during times of a disaster. We've spoken with Ben Rose and Zach Hodgson from the New York City Department of Sanitation, as well as the Salvation Army. Here to speak with us again are New York City Emergency Management's own. Please welcome Jonathan Jenkins, Dee Hayban, and Herman Schaefer. Hello. Hi. Hey. Now, the city has several emergency plans in place that focus on how the city and its partners manage donations. Uh, can you share with our listeners what those plans look like? Sure. Um, in terms of the donations coordination plan, uh, we have a plan and a playbook uh, that outlines strategies for the city agencies and our nonprofit partners to handle donations management. Uh, part of that is everything from convening a donations coordination team, which are the key agencies uh, when an event starts, uh, to looking at things uh, like where we'll warehouse, who's going to help staff the operation, and the other needed supplies to handle the donations. Uh, this plan is unique in the sense that we lean very heavily on our nonprofit partners. They're the ones that are working with donations every day. So we try to bring them to the table as quickly as we can to get their input on something that we really just do during disasters. The, we're about to kind of reopen this plan and rewrite it. Like we do with all of our plans, we reopened them. We looked at best practices that have occurred from past disasters recently, and we tried to create new strategies that can be more helpful in the future. So that's exactly what we're about to do with this plan. I like that. Um and we're going to touch on that a little bit later in the show. Uh, but as you guys heard earlier, uh, for our listeners, uh, Ben and Zach, they kind of talked about cash is best. And, and I know that after an emergency, after a disaster, people, they're excited and they, they want to donate. They want to give stuff. But the city uh, have has also adopted the mantra of, you know, cash is best. Why is that? Yeah, and, I, and I think this goes to sort of how communities react to emergencies. It could be a small emergency that affects a very local community. It could be something that affects the entire city. Um, but I think, you know, people want to feel connected to this. Uh, it's a time of activity in their communities. It's a time of, of interest. It's a time of oftentimes great sorrow or disruption. And f people feel the need to be able to provide something or get involved in some way. And I think people see the only way of doing that is to be able to go out and buy something and give something. Right. Um, <clears throat> something think tangible. We, something mm -hmm. tangible. They right. want to be physically doing something. Um, and cash doesn't have that same level of sort of tactile or you can't see a look on someone's face when you give them something. Um, I think people, as they said very nicely, people don't see the, how that affects the emergency in those people. And I think the idea of living a life with dignity comes into this very, very closely in the fact that you really want uh, to be able to give someone something dignified and also very appropriate. And so right. cash is best because um, over course of time, what people need changes. Uh, what organizations need to be able to do their job, whether it's case management or some of the supportive services that are provided change. And so therefore, um, if you're giving something that's needed now, uh, three weeks, it may still be there and it's not needed. And it turns into something that's uh, sort of, uh, it turns into something that could be a problem for the, us, our nonprofit partners, and also for the community that you're trying to help. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, we were talking about this before, um, about improving our emergency plans as it relates to donations. Um, how is the city working with that? Um, I know we spoke about the nonprofit partners we work with. We've obviously interviewed um, Salvation Army and the Donate NYC program, which is a city program, but nevertheless also works with um, local nonprofit organizations like the Voluntary Organizations Active in Disaster. 
Yeah. So I, I think from, from the logistics standpoint, we've been um, trying to take into account lately some of the recent uh, disasters that affected New York City, but also looking nationwide. Um, there is a national framework for donations management that comes out of FEMA. Um, but that's not necessarily the way that the states and locals always operate. It, you're as good as your your local organizations, whether that be the government side or the the nonprofit side. I think what we're trying to do at this point is take a look at, at a third group, uh, the triad, so to speak, and, and really how can we leverage the private sector, mm-hmm. corporations, uh, you know, groups that are willing to donate time or goods. Uh, you know, we we. We understand, you know, as, as Herman mentioned, um, that that folks still want to have that tactile offer uh, to help their their brothers and sisters. Um, but sometimes that's not necessarily the best use of time or money. Um, but if we could leverage some of these big organizations on the corporate side that can donate, you know, truckloads of water or truckloads of meals, that's a little more conducive to a large scale response. Mm-hmm. I also, I think also on that a little bit is that, you know, I also cover volunteers in my work as well. I mean, if your community feels like they want to get involved, time is also something you can donate. So as mm. we set up these um, centers, as maybe Jonathan is able to get those truckloads of goods, uh, you can get that feeling of being able to help someone and, and being able to work with someone by donating your time with some of the recovery efforts that are going on. Um, by donating your time. You don't always have to donate goods. And and to that point of donating time, I think this uh, comes in uh, perfectly, especially with houses of worship and faith leaders, yeah. uh, because, uh, and we spoke about this earlier with uh, the Salvation Army, um, people love to get involved, uh, for those who are worshipers, they love to get involved in their church and in their congregation. And we know that houses of worship usually, especially after disasters, they open up and they have drives as well. So um, I know you guys here at Emergency Management work closely with the houses of worships and are building those relationships. So that's another um, way that we can tap into and people can tap into uh, donating and giving their time. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that goes to the point that you connect with an organization and, and you ask the question, what do you need and how can you use it? Right. Um, there are organizations out there that do uh, do donations year-round uh, and may need the items that you're, you're looking for. But you know, we sort of think of an emergency, a lot of people think of the emergency as when it's in the news. Mm-hmm. So that could be even like a couple days, it's in the news. But for that community, that disaster is going on during the recovery as well, which is a very long time in a lot of ways. And you start even see like, uh, you know, post-Sandy, for years afterwards, people received donating goods. Right. But they were requested. They were things that people said, hey, we are looking for this specifically. And therefore, you knew that was going to the right place because they had a plan to use it. And so I think, you know, looking at that from that perspective, um, you know, you want to go to the local communities. The, the house of worship we have found in during time of emergency is two things. It's where people turn. Mm-hmm. It's where people turn for help. They look for information, but they also look for assistance, like the ones that we're talking about right here, to replace items or other things like that. It's a sense of community there. Um but also they are like they serve as the backbone of the community. They've been there for so long. They've witnessed and they've been through so many emergencies. They know how to do this. Right. Um, and I think that's so important uh, for us to understand that and work with Houses of Worship on donations. And part of it is communications, working with donations and saying, hey, 
tell your parishioners, don't, don't, don't donate everything right now. Here's right. how you do it. This is the best way to do that. And making sure that that message gets down as low as, as to, the, to every person as possible. And, and to touch on Herman's point about faith-based and other nonprofits in the community, that they really do know best. And one of the other initiatives that would fall under donations would be our Share Your Space survey. Um, yes. That's on our, our emergency management website, and that's an opportunity for community organizations, churches, synagogues, whatever, um, to, to, to enter in some basic information. And we'd send out a team to see if, if we could partner with you in some way. Mm-hmm. nyc.gov slash emergency management is the website. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great point. And Herman, you've said this before, that an emergency can happen within a matter of moments, but the recovery lasts a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and for our listeners, um, the city and its partners launched a, another website called Help Now NYC, which provides guidance as to what are the best ways to get involved in your community after a disaster, um, including donations as well. Um Tell us why this website was such an important step. This website's an important step for a couple of different reasons. I mean, the, the the biggest thing is it's a it's a it's a communal website. We have the VOADS Voluntary Organizations Active Disasters who have who are part of this. We have uh, sanitation. We have salvation. Everyone who we've, we've been talking to here, but also us. And it's a great messaging tool. Uh, you know, messaging is often key in emergencies. And what this website gives us is a one central place where people can go and it covers both donations and also covers volunteerism. So if you're looking to help, mm-hmm. that's why it's named the, you know, <laughs> Help Now NYC, um, <clears throat> you go here to figure out how to help because it's really important to be able to understand what to do. Um, but it's really hard. It's hard to do that research and people may not have the time to like understand how emergencies work. So if they go here in an instant, they'll know where to go, Who's the biggest players? What are they working on? Um, and how to donate uh, effectively during time of emergency? And a lot of the stuff, a lot of the points we're talking about here are on there. Um, so it's a one centralized stop. Um, and it's something that's relatively new. It's a new concept for us because it takes legitimately every single partner. It puts them in one spot, uh, both city and also nonprofit partners. And it gives us that, that, that overview um, but for every person, it gives them a sense of, okay, now I have some control. Now I have some knowledge. Now I know what to do. And I can I can give my time and my money and my donated goods most effectively. Yeah. I think it's important that yeah. everyone – there's there's a sense of – people may not realize this, but New York City absolutely has a sense of community no matter where you go. Um, you know, you have – you know, we were talking about congregations and houses of worship. We talk about – um, you know, neighborhoods that sometimes are affected by, you know, even if it's a localized emergency, that people band together and they try to help one another out. Um, but it's also important for, you know, our listeners and for all New Yorkers to know that the best way to get involved, whether it's through donations or donating your time, it's always before a disaster strikes. So, you know, I think it's really important that we've had all of you here today um, to emphasize these points and to really shed light on what the city does, um, even having our nonprofit partners here today to also speak about um, how there is a collaborative effort that everyone does speak to one another and there is that sense of coordination and community. And that's key uh, because I, I don't think that people understand and, and they don't sometimes think that the city is looking at something as simple, as we say, as donations and actually having a plan and an infrastructure in place where uh, it is well-coordinated um, and and this is key because we we need to have the preparation in place 
uh, prior to an emergency so that we're not kind of scrambling at the last minute. Um, and it's good to see that the city works with the nonprofits and its VOAs to ensure that we're sitting, we're talking about this um, so that, unfortunately, if a disaster were to strike, um, the plans are in place and the wheels can be in, in movement seamlessly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to note that the partnerships are in place because, you know, the city can't do this without our nonprofit partners. It's in, sort of integral to how this system works. Right. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately, if it's done right, the nonprofit partners benefit Mm-hmm. from this coordination. So I think it's really important that this is in place. And I think you're right. Most people wouldn't think that donations are uh, a big issue after emergencies. Right. But, you know, it's a, one of the first things that people think of. It's some of the first messaging that we try to put out is some donations messaging. If you're looking to donate, this is how to go. And that some of the stuff that we are trying to consider at first, because as has been said, you know, if you, you you can accrue a lot of donations very quickly, very very quickly, and it happens in an instant, uh, but it takes a lot longer to be able to respectfully put those into the hands of people who need it the most. Um, and the last thing we want to do is see uh, donated goods, people's thoughts, and and what they're looking to mm-hmm. be able to provide to this emergency misused or destroyed because they're just no longer usable. So, you know, that's some of the stuff that we're putting out there. And I think that it's so important that this partnership exists and that goes to the coordination and the planning. That's a great point, Herman. Um, I think many of our the public don't realize how many resources we actually put into donations management. There's a lot of trucking, there's a lot of staff, and a lot of manpower that goes into really running a donations drive, um, sorting through donations and getting it into the hands of those that need it. So it really can, with poor planning, create a secondary emergency that nobody wants to mm, see happen. That's a great yeah, point. That's a great point, Dee. So I think um, it's really important when you give, uh, you know, take pause and listen to kind of the guidance that um, Herman kind of mentioned the different vehicles that we use to put it out there, um, the different websites and social media, but really listen to the things. If we are asking for stuff, only give that stuff. Um, but again, the general rule is cash is king um, because we're kind of doing the planning and the operations behind the scenes so that we can really focus um, our resources in the place that it's needed the most um, and we don't want to use uh, donations inappropriately or inefficiently. And I think I think that leads to, you know, better training across the board, not only with the folks involved in the donations plan, but also our elected officials, because they have a stake in this operation as well. And so I think what you'll see, you know, we, we have these good relationships with the elected officials anyway, but I think as you see us update our plan even more, there's going to be a wider cast of characters involved in training, a wider cast of characters involved in a central public message. And we want to make sure that that, that transcends everyone. Absolutely. Um, for our listeners, again, um, the websites that you can visit to find out how you can effectively donate, you could visit nyc.gov slash emergency management or the Help Now NYC website, which is nyc.gov slash help now. That's this edition of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared. <laughs>